I'm Chris Biddle and welcome to Inside AgriTurf. Now surely one of the biggest issues facing every industry, every organisation, indeed every company, large or small, is finding the right staff and then retaining them long term. It is a truism that a company is only as good as its staff. Get the staff culture right, then everything else should fall into place. So today I'm going to go across the pond to talk to a dealership. And not any old dealership, as you will hear. What does it mean to leave a legacy? How do you build a company that's as reliable as the machines you sell? Our story is rooted in an unwavering commitment to support those who need to get the job done. Out of the hard-working hands of a farmer who wanted to do things right, we have grown from a small-town operation to a global presence. Holding on to those values that made those early days grow into extraordinary years. We were built by people who know how to get their hands dirty, by people that have done what you do every day. So who are we? We are a team of problem solvers. Listeners, go the extra milers. We are technicians, specialists. And on some days, we make the impossible possible. And those, those are the days we live for. That farmer was Ron Uffert, who worked on the family potato farm using equipment rented from the local John Deere dealership. In 1968, when Ron was 26, he was approached by the owner of that deer dealership in North Dakota, who saw something of the entrepreneur in him and invited him to buy the business. The problem was that Ron had little money, but he took up the challenge. And the first steps were tough. He asked customers even to prepay invoices in order he could pay his staff. Gradually, business improved and the company started to branch out. Today, just over 50 years later, his company, RDO Equipment, based in Fargo, North Dakota, operates 75 branches across multiple states and has partnerships in a number of overseas countries, including Australia, where in 2015, RDO acquired the John Deere dealership Vanderfield and today operates 29 branches, employing 700 staff. The company focuses on farm machinery and construction equipment, as well as associated sectors such as forestry and lawn and garden. And the major franchises it holds are John Deere and Vermeer. Staffing such an extensive multi-branch operation is a complex business. So I'm delighted today to be joined by Amanda Dawson, RDO HR Director, and by Andy Lukins, and Andy, I really like your title, Talent Acquisition Manager. Yes, yep. So Recruiting Program Manager, Talent Acquisition Manager, they're kind of the same thing for us. And, and I work with the business, support our Midwest locations. There's three of me throughout the, uh, the organization. We've got two others in some of our other regions, but I uh, get to sit here in uh, North Dakota and uh, support our Midwest locations. Uh, And Amanda, um, I mean, if we talk about recruitment and retention, 
presumably Andy's job is to recruit and your role is as far as possible to uh, make sure you retain the staff that you recruit. Yes, absolutely. So I'm the HR director for RDO Equipment Company as a whole. And so I have a, a team of people that work with everything HR related. And I've also got on the call uh, Lindsay Paulson, uh, who handles the PR and communications for RDO. Uh, so thank you, Lindsay, for setting this all up. I very much appreciate it. So generally, what, what messages do you use to sell uh, the farm machinery uh, opportunities uh, to young people in general and, and RDO as a company? Yeah, Chris, so I think the, the most important thing for us in, in terms of engaging talent is, is to find all levels of, of talent. And, and we do that by starting at the, at the pre-K to the secondary schools, into the colleges, and even more importantly, talking to the parents. Uh, and we do so really kind of, a lot of people grow up with the fascination of, of big tractors. And, yes, of course. And the goal is to keep that fire lit within them and, and want, wanting them to be excited about it. And so if we capture them when they're young and they're playing in the sandbox and those kinds of things, we then get to kind of just keep them excited about the technology that is there because a lot of us uh, don't realize what is in the machine today. It's uh, it's a lot more than just a diesel engine anymore. Is it easier then, Andy, that um, your main brand, John Deere, is such an iconic brand that it makes your job a lot easier? I would say it's very helpful. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with being on Team Green, in, in our opinion, and uh, and that's something that's really awesome. You know, we also talk a lot about our business as a whole and an audio equipment company, you know, the size, uh, the reach that we have and, and just the name recognition within the States and, and internationally is pretty incredible. And so that plays into our favor as well. Uh, you know, it's great to have an awesome manufacturing partner, but to have established such a history and legacy that we have is, is pretty unique. Indeed. Uh, and just to put some numbers on it, uh, how many staff are employed by RDO? In the United States, we're just under 2,800. Uh, spread across 75 branches, sure. I understand? Yep, exactly. Uh, and in how many states? We're in nine states today. Now, uh, what age do you start this recruitment uh, process, Andy? Uh, I mean, traditionally, new staff has come into this industry from a farming or agricultural background. Uh, is that still the case? It's it's really it's really not you know we still engage those farmers and and those young people that are growing up uh, using the equipment because they do have some experience and knowledge of the machines, but even more importantly is is to find the the young people that are interested in robotics. They're interested in video game technology. They're they may just like to tinker on their dad's classic car or you know be working on bicycles, whatever it may be. Uh, we can find those types of folks. I joke a lot, you know, it's great if you can hire a farmer, but that also takes a customer out of the running. And so you have to kind of handle that really uniquely in order to, do you want them to stay a customer or do you want them to come work for you or both? So uh, we, we find our talent across the board and, and we start at very young ages. 
I mean, kindergarten students that just come and, and get tractor rides and tours on, on certain days of the week. Yeah. So. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, and do your branches have autonomy in recruiting staff? Presumably they work to some sort of grand plan that you have as a, an HR department or a recruiting department. Do, do they have uh, the ability to hire their own staff? Presumably they do. And do you get involved in that? Yes, absolutely. So local management is responsible um, to make decisions as it relates to all aspects of their business. So really, the hiring process is no different. Um, The managers at each location are very hands-on with the hiring process. Where my team comes into play from an HR perspective is just really to help support them. Um, But ultimately, the decision makers, they are the decision makers when it comes to who they want to hire. And you've got a rather a different system in the U.S. in as much that um, all your states tend to have a, a different legislative um, arrangement. Does having um, so many branches in so many states, uh, does it alter the, the game plan that you have in terms of employment legislation and so on? Yes, absolutely. So like we had mentioned, we're in nine states throughout the United States. So given we are in so many states, we do have to be aware of all the, the specific laws for all of our HR practices uh, you know, there are some states that are more regulated than others. So it's it's just important that we stay up on on all the ever-changing laws. Yeah. So that's one more issue to, to chuck into the uh, equation. We asked about where wh- where the uh, traditional staff came for. Do you find that you're more successful recruiting staff in rural locations where there was probably a farming uh, in- hinterland than in urban or industrial areas? Or doesn't it make much difference? You, you'd say today it, it may not make as much difference, but I'll be honest, we're starting to target our strategy much closer to the urban areas just because there's more population for us to have access to. Our, uh, our rural areas are, are getting smaller and smaller. And uh, as I said before, you know, if we, if we take a, a person from that area and we train them and, and they leave, then we lose somebody in that, in that market. And so we find a lot of folks in these large metropolitan communities. And then we talk about them considering a move either within one of our larger locations or considering making a transition into a rural community. Uh, to use a, an American phrase that we use very commonly over here, the $64,000 question in recruiting new staff is um, for pr- prospective employees, is, what's important to them? Is it, is it pay or is it long-term career opportunities? Yeah, so I think a lot of people would think the answer to that question is pay, but that's actually not what we're seeing. So what we hear from candidates or or current team members and what they talk more about is really wanting to have a career path um, or wanting to know that they're part of the bigger picture and what they do really matters. So, of course, being paid fairly for what, what you do is important, but really culture, taking care of your team members and helping them see that they have a career and not just a job, we've seen goes a long way. In terms of uh, pay comparisons, um, are you able to benchmark your pay against other similar industries? I'm perhaps thinking about the automotive industry. Yeah, we use we use a number of you know historical data points throughout multiple industries across the board to to make comparisons, and and obviously we work our our best to, and use our internal philosophy to uh, to capitalize on that. When you're recruiting for a dealership, you're you're recruiting for three key 
uh, customer facing roles, I guess. One's the sales department, one's the service department, the technicians, and the other, of course, is the parts department, which often seems to be, excuse the terminology, the Aunt Sally of the, of the dealership. It, it's caught between two stalls, trying to please the sales department and trying to please the te- technical department as well. Uh, but having said that, it, it, it's gone into much more of a merchandising and, and, and shop um, retail role these days. Uh, how easy is it to recruit people for your parts operations? Yeah, that's one of the areas that I'll be honest, we've, we've done a lot of, of thinking about over the past few years. And, and so we've created several programs, actually one in each of the categories you just mentioned, and we call it an Access Your Future program. And we spend time specifically thinking about business students, people that are interested in sales, but maybe don't have the technical expertise of equipment. And we'll start them in the parts role so that they can start to learn the industry and and really grow. And we also use the technology piece to that. I mean, we need technical experts. When you think about parts, it's really a blend of technical expertise and sales. And it's a a pretty specific person to find that uh, that excels at that. So uh, we do a lot of educating on that one in particular uh, and and talking a lot about the impact and, and how you're serving two customer groups is really important to us. Uh, Amanda, how um, how important is it to you to teach communication skills to your employees? I'm thinking uh, the sales guys generally are, are, are good talkers, uh, shall we say. Uh, but when it comes to the parts department, it is important that customers are feel at ease. And indeed, uh, the technician often has an absolutely vital role in, in, in selling the company and selling the products. Uh, so how much time and effort do you, you put into uh, improving communication skills amongst your staff? Yeah, I would say communication, like like you mentioned, communication is key in in any role in the organization. I mean, from the parts the parts counter where the customer comes in and they're the first person that that customer sees. Um, you know, we have our service technicians talking directly to customers. Um, so you you definitely have to have great communication skills regardless of the role that you're in. And so whether it's training through our learning portal or different training courses through our manufacturer partners, communication is definitely a focus for every role. Now, probably one of the reasons why I contacted you was an article, because uh, I've recently done quite a few podcasts focusing on the opportunities for female employees, particularly in technical roles, uh, because this has always been a, a very male-dominated industry. Um, And I noticed an article which focused on uh, two of your uh, uh, technicians. I think it was Mackenzie Lacco and and Emma Westman. And I see Julia Mills, one of your other technicians, uh, appears in one of your recruitment videos. Uh, How important is it to you to get to prospective female employees? Yeah. So recruiting women into the industry continues to be a focus for us. You know, I think one of our biggest opportunities that we have is just bringing more awareness to the industry. You know, like you mentioned, the agriculture and construction industries have been known to be male dominated for so many years, but there are great career opportunities um, in these industries, regardless of gender. You know, we've been fortunate, like you mentioned, um, to have women in many different roles throughout our organization from the service technicians you just mentioned to parts, to sales, you know, a variety of different roles. So it is exciting to see, but we definitely have an opportunity to bring more awareness to the industry for sure. 
Uh, do, do you find, and this is a, an observation of mine, that when I've in, uh, when I've interviewed recently female technicians, they are absolutely, shall I say, over the moon about their role. They really love it, and they're more expressive about their role than their male counterparts. Is that something that you found? I'd have to agree 100% with you. I mean, <laughs> that's why they're in the articles and, and on the videos, is anytime we ask them, they'll just immediately dive in and, and want to be part of it. So. Sure. Uh, there's something to be said about, uh, you know, diving into an industry and, and sharing your passion and, and our female staff, no matter the team that they're on, be it warranty, be it parts, be it service technicians, they, they are all really engaged in this business and find value and, and they love sharing their stories. So yeah, yeah. Uh, the passion is definitely there. I think that's one of the biggest things where they, they want to share their stories. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the things that I found was that um, in, in the several cases, they come from the automotive industry, which not to put too fine a point at it, they found boring. Um, it was the same old job, the same old day with the same old type diagnostics. And uh, in getting into uh, the farm machinery and equipment gave them so much more scope for variety. So is this one of the things that you tend to sell? Yes, absolutely. So maybe you could... Um, just tell me about your internship programs. You, you have a different, we have it in the UK. Uh, we have a national apprenticeship uh, system uh, with nationally recognized um, qualifications, which are transferable. Uh, each of the manufacturers like John Deere and uh, Agco and that run their own apprenticeship programs, which are rolled out across the whole of the country. Um, you don't seem to have quite the same, but you've got your access, your future uh, program, as you've just mentioned, uh, which I believe has got two uh, sections to it. One is a service intern and the other is a service technician apprentice. Could you just run me through how those work and what the differences are between those two, uh, two, 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 two roles? Yeah, so if we focus on our internship opportunities or our, um, apprenticeship opportunities for the service side of our business, you're absolutely correct where it's Access Your Future program, and it has two different paths. So the first one being the internship path, which would be for students interested in, in a career in the equipment industry, and we would bring them on while they're going to school, so while they're going to that technical school. And so they'd have the opportunity to get hands-on experience while going to school, with the potential for full-time opportunities upon graduation. And then upon graduation, we would also offer an education incentive um, if they've completed the program. Where the apprentice program is slightly different is in a lot of cases, those individuals would have already finished school. And as long as we are their first um, heavy equipment service technician uh, dealership, we would offer them those, those same benefits. And so it would just be a full-time opportunity versus a part-time opportunity while they're going to school. And, and from either of those groups, uh, they, obviously they come through the schools and colleges. Uh, is it a case that sometimes that people will approach you directly for, for job opportunities, irrespective of whether you've been into their school or educational facility? We're finding these students well in advance of them going to school, and we're helping them choose and, and find educational institutions that best fit them based on their desires, their location, and geography. So yes, we have people come to us on a frequent basis that say, I want to get into the industry. How do I do it? And we'll help coach them right yeah. into it, sign them up for our program, which helps them move through the experience, both with 
pay and, and educational opportunities of on, on-site service during their school year, but more importantly, the future career and the educational reimbursement after the fact. So we actually are targeting and engaging people in advance of their decision to go to the school and helping them make that decision. And, and so once they've joined you, uh, we have a different obvious system for healthcare in this country because it's a national health service but, but what benefits do you offer or does RDO offer to employees that, that those employees really value yeah so we have we have a very comprehensive benefits package um, for our full-time employees that would be you know health dental vision 401k with a strong match along with many other elective benefits um, that they can they can choose to select and of all those, which are the ones that generally are most valued, uh, Amanda? You know, I think I think um, when it comes to our actual benefits package, I would say probably the health insurance along with the 401k and, and the match to help plan for their retirement. Yeah. But when I think of, you know, outside of, of health benefits or the, uh, the benefit package, you know, I think one of the things that our team members see as, as a benefit to them is um, something that we have that's specific to our parts and service team members. And so kind of going back to what you were talking about when when you asked if, if pay or, or career path was more important, you know, one of the things that I would say differentiates us is our career path level program, yeah. which is specific to parts and service team members, where they have the opportunity to sit down with their manager, you know, four times a year to really discuss their role and how things are going. Yeah. So like when we talk about the service side, for example, you know, they sit down and they talk about how they're performing from the more metric-based goals, so efficiency and rework. Um, you know, as an organization, we also really focus on training. So they'll sit down and talk about, you know, what training they completed the previous quarter, what they should focus on for training in the upcoming quarter. And then lastly, they'll talk about maybe some of those non-metric-based performance goals like communication, safety, teamwork, so essentially, they're sitting down with their manager four times a year instead of that traditional annual performance review. Sure. And then sure. their performance is also tied directly to compensation. Um, so since we're we're our our pay philosophy is a pay for performance organization, so team members really know what they need to do in order to move up levels as a technician or as a part specialist, and that helps them see how they can um, continue to increase their compensation as well. Are there, you're in majorly in two sectors, one's agriculture, one's construction. Uh, when you're recruiting, are these skills interchangeable? Um, do, do people come on specifically to do agricultural engineering, as we call it, or, or construction? Or indeed, do you get people switch between those two divisions? A lot of people will come in with, with one goal in mind and uh, over time choose to switch. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's very common for us uh, that somebody will want to work on green machines, which is the agricultural side for our, our business. And then they'll start to realize that they want to learn something different and they'll switch to construction and vice versa. I think a lot of it comes down to the where they have the educational opportunity uh, a lot of the schools in, in our region uh, and, and territories will will actually have a specialty. So you'll go to school for one and realize that you want to be in the other. Yeah. And so that's an area for us that we do see a lot of movement between the two. Uh, some people will specialize and they'll stay in that sector forever. But uh, but we do get folks to to transition. And uh, we've got even more product lines than just the construction. Yeah. And, 
and uh, egg side. So that's kind of a big area for us as well as we introduce them to some of these other things, road milling and paving and underground um, drilling, things like that. Now, it, I'm old enough to uh, to have been subject uh, to when I was young. Uh, the uh, the advice given by your father was uh, find a job. Actually, it was usually uh, go into the bank, my son. You'll have a job for life. Uh, well, that, that was good advice, wasn't it? Bearing in mind what's happening in the banking system. But um, how's your employee retention um, improved over the years, or, or is the is the um, job for life tag no longer? as powerful as people look to switch careers much more uh, regularly. Yeah, we've, we've simply just changed it to industry for life. And so <laughs> instead of, uh, instead of them having one job, we want to grow folks within the industry and, and within our business. And so we change, uh, we allow them change. We allow them the educational opportunity to progress and, and move their career but we want them to stay within uh, the industry so they keep that institutional knowledge, as one would call it, sure. and, and they grow professionally. And uh, we all know about the technological advances in, in equipment these days. It doesn't matter whether it's in agriculture or construction or, or whatever. So is it, is it getting easier to recruit technicians from higher education than university now that tractors and machinery and general are, are more technically advanced? I think it'll it will it will get easier once we do our job and, and our manufacturing partners are supportive of this as well of explaining the amount of technology in the machines and yeah. we're getting to that point over the past few years we've done a lot of uh, spending a lot of time really educating folks about what's going on in in the industry and and thankfully we're in a, an area and community that really embraces that in almost all of our locations so. Uh, the answer is the technology is the selling point and it is what we use, but it does. there's a little bit of an uphill piece of this in order to make sure folks understand what's going on in the world because they do think back to the, the olden days of, of the yeah. original machine. Yeah, so. indeed. And, and are there technical roles that you're now looking to fill within uh, the organization uh, that you wouldn't have required 10, 15, 20 years ago? Very much so. I mean, we've, we have a centralized team that supports our technicians with direct access to the manufacturing partner. Uh, we've embraced uh, drone technology and 3D modeling, and so we're supporting that. We have product specialists that are dedicated specifically to precision uh, agriculture and really focused in on that and making sure that the customer knows how to use it. Uh, and is using it the right way. And, and thankfully, our manufacturing partner has really embraced that and opened up a lot of their technology as of late. So there is uh, there's some really great potential for us to uh, to hire positions like that. And we just find folks that are interested in, educate them on what they need to be an expert in and, and let them go and engage the customers. So. Sure. Uh, and I note you have a, a number of overseas operations um, and partnerships and, and, and so on. Do you, from your particular roles, do you get involved in those at all? In terms of the hiring of those positions? Well, yeah, Jen, yes, I, I, yep. I guess so. Yep. Advice that you might well give uh, the people in those countries, uh, overseas territories, that uh, uh, techniques that you use successfully to hire staff. Yeah, so as it relates to um, our overseas operations, typically they do have their own HR department. Um, so we're not involved in a lot of the day-to-day 
in helping get get those established. You know, where we would get involved is maybe sharing best practices, what's working, what's not. Um, but we don't have day-to-day direct involvement. You, you talked about, uh, I think Andy used the phrase, uh, not necessarily a job for life, but an industry for life. Um, once they've been through your Access Your Future program, does that give them any uh, qualifications, if you like, that are transferable? Uh, should they move away and want to get a job in another dealership or with it elsewhere within the industry? Yes, it does. I mean, through the educational program, they're going to have a, a degree from a, an institute of, of higher education, and they could take that someplace else uh, should they want to. And, and obviously they would have experience from within our business. Uh, but I will be honest with our career path programs and those kinds of things, we do a very good job of making sure they want to grow their career within the RDO family as well. Uh, and, and this is a pa- powerful selling message of it being a family company. Yes. I think there's something to, to be said to that in the, uh, the way that we've grown as an organization is is also really impactful. Um, the uh, the support, the culture that we drive is is right around that family piece, and and I think there's something to be said about ca- caring for each other just as well as uh, working for a profit, right? Yeah, indeed. Oh, and, and and thank you very much. And so if we sort of come slightly up to date, then the last 12 months, two years have, have been particularly challenging for all sorts of reasons, notably uh, COVID and, and, and so on. Has that impacted on your ability to recruit and retain staff? Uh, has it had a m- much of an impact on on your company as a whole? You know, I would say at the beginning, when when the pandemic first hit, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty and, you know, both from, from our perspective as an organization, but also the candidate's perspective. So I would say, you know, there was, there was a time where, where people weren't as willing to maybe make that change, which made it a little bit more, uh, a little bit more difficult to, to bring people on. But in the recent months, I think that um, people are getting to be more and more comfortable with where things are at and willing to make that move. And we're, so I would say we're seeing the candidate pool increase, um, but there's also there's also a lot of um, competition out there, right? So <laughs> yeah. we're we're facing competition where you know we want to continue, especially with that service technician. You know sure. we want to continue to to grow our service our service departments, just like many of our competitors. And so you know talking about some of the things that we talked about today with with our culture and our our CPL process and some of those things, um, we're hoping that that's what helps helps our recruiting. Our recruiting processes. Indeed. Well, you, you know, the last 12 months have, have been, as you as we said, particularly challenging. But out of it has come, I mean, we're, we're communicating over Zoom, uh, which I guess two years ago, none of us would really either heard of or, or have used. Um, and techniques like that, has this made your whole um, roles particularly well, easier in being able to communicate with branches and uh, your staff being able to communicate with customers and it now will become a, a, a much more important feature within the company? Yes, absolutely. I mean, like you said, I think two years ago, if we would have said that almost every single one of the calls that we have today is going to be on video, we would have thought you were crazy. <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, we've all, we all had to adapt, right? Whether it was how we communicated with customers from a sales perspective or how us in our field support office communicate um, with our, with the field, it has, it has helped us a ton. And it's one of those things where not everything that came out of the, the pandemic was bad. And no. this is something that we'll continue to utilize in the future. 
Well, I think it was particularly impressive, certainly here with dealers setting up uh, virtual um, open days uh, with manufacturers holding demonstrations online. And they suddenly found ways in which they could get to customers, which were just as effective and obviously a lot more cost effective as well. Yes, absolutely. Well, look, I really do thank you, you all, for taking the time today. It's been a most interesting uh, run through your 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 recruitment process and so on. And uh, I know that our listeners here in the UK will be interested in that because I guess there is no. It's a constant challenge for every industry and indeed for every organisation and every company finding new staff these days and and, and then keeping them, of course. And uh, it will continue to make sure that you have your hands full all the time. I guess. Yeah, there's nothing better than job security. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, uh, take care, all of you. And um, I I thank you very much for joining me. Yes, thank you for the opportunity. It uh, really doesn't matter whether your company employs 2,000, 200, 20, or even two people. The principles of recruitment and then retaining staff are exactly the same. We heard from Andy and Amanda how they like to plant the seed of the opportunities in the agricultural machinery industry at a very early age and how that interest is then nurtured and encouraged over the years. And during employment, holding individual discussions, assessing personal performance and goals for technical and parts staff four times a year and that pay grades are based on those assessments. The story of RDO equipment is quite remarkable. The build-up of privately run dealership with such extensive national coverage and global reach from a single depot just over five decades ago is extraordinary in itself and demonstrates the kind of tenacity and vision that family-run businesses can bring to our industry. I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is Inside AgriTurf.